0: Hello and welcome to another episode of SBCC Vaquero Voices, a podcast highlighting the unique voices that comprise our campus culture and how we're all working together to serve our students in the community at large. As usual, I'm joined by co-host Akil Hill. What's good, y'all? And today we are honored to welcome Leslie Marin Juarez to the show. Leslie, welcome. Welcome, Leslie. Thank
1: you so much to both of you for having me on.
0: So you are the... Um...
1: So I am the student program advisor for the Dream Center.
0: Yes, and and a, a mini celebrity on campus because the, the week <laughs> the Dream Center opened, there was like news cameras in your face all day, every day. We're, we're, everyone trying to get interviews with you.
2: That I is mean, now sure.
0: <laughs> now that things have kind of calmed down a bit, are, are you getting used to kind of the day to day? And and what is that even like? I mean, what is what is what does it entail running the Dream Center? What, what's going on with all that? Just just fill the yeah.
1: To- so the first week of the grand opening you know the center is as old as I am in the position so it was to say the least a very stressful but also very rewarding week myself being undocumented I think the center represents a lot of what I needed as a student so just now being full circle right I remember when I was a student they would ask me and we had a conversation with Saul Carvajal once and they had said like, what do you guys need as students? And something that I had said was a center, right? A stable place where I know I can get questions answered. And that was back in like 2016. So now fast forward to now having the center has been a full circle and things have definitely slowed down after undocumented student week of action, you know, obviously with finals and everything. But it's, now it's more in-person communications with students, which has been really nice, and meetings, but also trying to reach out to other undocumented um, student services on different campuses and see what are the things that have worked for them or maybe haven't worked for them.
0: And I imagine that's probably a big part of the process because this is something that's kind of rolling out across campuses, not around the same time, but relatively speaking, this is a new thing for most campuses. I mean, is it a good feeling? I mean, do, do you get a lot of room to kind of improvise and put your stamp on things and kind of speaking from the voice of a student who, who kind of went through the process and and knows what they, they were looking for, or they needed, have you been able to kind of like influence things and, and really kind of put your stamp on things or were or, or things kind of set in stone and you just, you just came in and just opened the door, so to speak?
1: <laughs> no, I think that's, that's also the beauty of right. The center being, as old as I am in the position, is I'm really creating a program from the ground up, and I'm making the program into what students need. So it's, it's really nice to get able to speak to students. I know a lot of the feedback that I've been getting has been, right, the financial component of things. Being undocumented, you don't qualify for federal aid, right, or, or a lot of scholarships because they require that status of being born in the United States which makes students not qualify so it's it's been really nice not having anything I guess set on stone but creating as as I go and as I speak to students um, about what it is that they need
2: yeah one thing I I will have to say I mean I've been in the space and if you haven't been into the, the dream Center I, I would encourage everybody to swing by introduce yourself to Leslie but that space is, is amazing you know like it feels really there's a vibe in there that is that's really warm I mean I was watching um I remember when it was a, a documented week and so uh the news um was basically on KUYT they were showing the different dream centers and like Alan Hancock and other places other colleges and campuses but when I saw ours, I was like, "Man, it's so much! It's so warm in here. Like, it didn't look stale. Stale didn't look like a kind of a classroom converted. Uh, just a real welcoming space. So um, that's a tribute to Leslie and kind of like putting her stamp on the space and and making it walk uh, welcoming for students. And I will say, undocumented week was one of those weeks that I felt real proud to be an employee at at Santa Barbara City College with different numerous events. Can you t- maybe elaborate a little bit on? you know, what you guys did that uh, during that week, Leslie, because some people may have missed out on it.
1: Yeah, of course. The week began with a keynote speaker who is for some, I'm sure a lot of us have watched the show, Netflix show, Jane, the Virgin Rafael Agustin is actually the writer for that Netflix series, which was really popular and still is. And I thought it would be amazing to bring him in because he is formally undocumented. So I think it's, it's really important for not only students, but also staff, right, to see that the possibilities are endless, regardless of status. It's different when you hear a story, right? But when you physically see it and you see this person talk about his childhood and, and where he is now, it's, it's really different minutes really impactful so that was the start of the week i also had a resource day where i got a bunch of resources from all around campus including financial aid tap a lot of really unique resources that i think students would benefit from where they got the opportunity to come in and get more information about that as well as the grand opening which was probably the event where we had most attendees, uh, we had over a hundred people at that event. I was able to get uh, mariachi. We had el sarape, amazing food, come and cater. So that was really successful. And it was really a very emotional day for me, just seeing, right, going from the pandemic when there was no students, no staff, and seeing so many people from all walks of life interact and there were students crying there was families crying just listening to the music and really feeling a sense of belonging so that that week to say the least was very special
0: and going forward now is um for a student that's interested in seeking out services just just is it just the best course of action to just stop by or is there a contact form on the website that we should shout out or anything? what's the best way to kind of get in touch with you if there are students that are kind of interested in kind of just getting using the service In the center?
1: I think right now I want to shy away from appointment based just because I already know there's already a lot of fear. So I work on a very drop in basis. If they are interested in services, they can either email me, call me. I'm very for meeting students where they're at because I know some may be parents, some, you know, still have that fear. So email, text, or in person Monday through Friday. I'm I'm available
0: yeah so in those situations I remember like for my parents as refugees coming it was always leaning on friends and and relatives and people who had gone through certain processes before so hopefully that word gets out in the in the street so to speak the oral tradition or, or just word of mouth gets around and, and people hear the word like hey stop by there's a lot of cool stuff going on there and and, and you're just there, you're, you're just there to help so great great day on campus great service to promote and uh thank you for coming on
2: the show again yeah
1: thank you so I- much
2: I attended the the Raphael Augustine presentation, and that was absolutely amazing. It was so motivating and uh, hilarious. It was so funny just watching him speak and really, you know, capturing his story and his journey and making it palatable to you know to us all. And so uh, I remember he there was a book signing, right, Leslie? They had, he had signed some books and yes. I'm still I haven't I haven't read it mine yet. I'm going to be transparent on that. But I'm hoping, you know, maybe we could somehow some way get a few people that have yet to start reading it and reading it together and kind of discussing it because he was he was absolutely funny. I enjoyed my time with uh, him. So legally yours. We'll have to get that uh, illegally yours. We have to get that in the show notes so people can, you know, check that out as well.
1: And I still have a couple copies available in the Dream Center, so if we have staff or students that are interested in getting their hands on one, they're completely free. So just swing by, and um, you guys can pick up a book.
2: Shout out to the foundation for that, right? It was yes, the foundation. yes, yeah.
1: Our Thank f- you so much, Jeff Green.
0: Yeah, I definitely have to do that. And and just just to add on to what y'all were saying earlier, the center um, Center for Equity and Social Justice in the campus center. With your presence, Dream Center, Emoja, and just the the whole center, the vibe there is just, it's really nice. Like all the events that that y'all have done over the years, and it just feels so lived in, and just it's just a great place to be right now. So if if y'all haven't had a chance to stop by the center, whether it's for the Dream Center, Emoja, any other services, or just just to go do a program out there, I encourage y'all to get out there. I mean, it's very inviting. They always have drinks and snacks and coffee, and now they, I saw like soup broth packets when I was in there the other day, so they- (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they got it going on yeah instant pho in like a in like a tea look like a tea bag but it's like instant pho and you can put it in a cup i'm like oh man the future is now you know like we don't have jetpacks we're not flying cars but we have instant pho soup packets and air fryers that's all i need right so i think we're, <laughs> we're getting there so yeah segueing, leslie um what brought you to SBCC? If you could just go in your, your you know, your path here a little bit. I know you were, you mentioned you were a student, um, but if you just want to kind of, kind of shine a light on what brought you, what brought you this way.
1: Yeah, of course. So I started attending Santa Barbara City College back in 2016. Originally, that was not my plan. A little bit before that, um, when I was in high school, my plan was, you know, to obviously go to college because it was something I grew up with my parents, right, telling me about the importance of of education and how much opportunities could come from it. So my plan was to work because I knew my parents couldn't afford to put me through school. I have an older sister who's just a year older than me, so she was already in college, and I knew that was going to be a very tough financial burden, right, to add on. So my idea was to work, get some money to be able to pay for my school. And at the time when it was towards the end of my high school senior year, we had someone from Running Start, which is now a student program advisor, Alicia Sanchez, who came and talked about the program and talked a little bit about the promise as well. And from her conversation that she had I was the first student to go up to her after and said how do I how do I sign up she gave me I remember a little orange paper to fill out which was an interest card I filled that out and she reached back out to me I believe within the next day and then yeah it kind of just took off from there I did the running start program met a lot of amazing and supportive people I think for the first time in a long time, I felt a sense of home and safety and education. And so I'm very thankful for the EOPS program um, and the foundation from providing me with that support from the very beginning and just creating right that, that environment that's welcoming to students. Because so I feel like growing up, I didn't feel like I had that. Maybe because my first language obviously wasn't English. It was Spanish. So I grew up in ESL classes and just, right, the language barrier feeling kind of left out. Knowing that you're undocumented, but also not being open about it with your friends or your teachers. Because you didn't know that how how people were going to react to that and feeling the sense of always being an other or, you know. So, yeah, I started in 2016. And fun fact, I actually used to work with Roxanne way back in, I believe it was 2017. I started working first in the EOPS department as a student worker, as a peer mentor providing support right after the Running Start program. And I really fell in love with helping students, right, who are barely starting their college journey and having that same feeling I did of not feeling comfortable asking questions or feeling like maybe my question might be dumb. So I started doing that. And then I started working with the equity department as an event coordinator, where I got to put on a lot of uh, amazing events for students. And then during that time, I was a full-time student, obviously, so I couldn't commit as much time to event planning takes a lot of time so trying to navigate both of those things didn't really work out so well I couldn't commit to to as much time as the events needed so I went back to working with EOPS as a peer mentor and then from there just other opportunities came I worked for the foundation for a little bit through an internship so a lot a lot of amazing opportunities and I just have a new idea of what college can do and what being involved and being your own self-advocate and the importance of having this stability, not only what an impact it made for me, but I I want other students now, right, going through the Dream Center, going through all these different spaces to have just the same positive experience, if not better than what I had
0: and it's great the fact that you actually lived it cuz a lot of folks you know you can you can learn about a process you can learn all, a lot about kind of the workflow things how things should go but but when you've lived it you see the things the little wrinkles that come in here and there the little the little nuances of actually going through the process seeing where folks get get tripped up seeing where folks get discouraged uh, what part of the process could be modified a little bit so it's it's really great that you're the you're the person here doing this for us because we need more folks that have actually kind of lived the experience. Like, yeah, I know when I worked in private sector, there are a lot of folks that would, you know, you can come out with a master's in in business administration, and then you can quickly become a supervisor or vice president. But then when you're in the job, it just doesn't click. But having someone like you that has been through it, if someone comes to you for help, you can say, hey, I, I did this. And not only did I do this, but I saw the whole, you saw the whole process through you. went, You know, you transferred, you did all these things and a grasp of the entire process really kind of helps you get help those students on the ground level, because you can say, okay, I kind of was like this, or even even the folks that you have no, you know, the frame of reference, because everyone's experience is so different. Even then, you can say, well, when I did it, it was like this, but you know, this, this might work better for you. And but just having that context is so important. It's it's really so important. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that you that you're here in this role here at SBCC for sure. Yeah. And I
1: love that you brought that up because something that I've also learned, right, is a lot of the people that do work are the college are SBCC alumni. And I think that's a beautiful thing because students um, get to see, right, what that looks like, the, the different opportunities that come after, right? You navigate Santa Barbara City College, you go elsewhere, but you somehow always find your way back because of the connections. And just I think the, the culture on our campus is really beautiful.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I would think uh, from like listening to that, I'm like, what I what I think about is is just the richness, right? And so, the richness that you that is obtained from being in this space when you're 18, just trying to figure it out, to coming complete circle to being a full time employee of a place where you transferred on, uh, graduated, got your degree, now you're in a different space mm-hmm. that. That can't be understated versus, you know, just while I mean, I think people bring different things to the job. But when you grow up and you're physically on the campus as a student and then you return as a full time employee, it means something different. It just does.
1: Yeah.
0: It's something like as as an old head looking back on it, like it's one of those (laughs) things. It's one of those things where like community college just makes so much sense to my 40 year old brain. But I remember as a 17, 18 year eighteen-year-old getting out of high school, like like when I was in LA, even like we had PCC. I was like, oh "Man, I'm not going to PCC. I'm going to go try to do a four-year or whatever." But in hindsight, it's like I would have been so much better served going to community college, yeah, and just, and because the resources are, are not only there; they're in your face. Like at a four-year mm-hmm. institution, they have they probably have an equal number of services, but they were they were ver- they're very well hidden. They're, they're, they're like over yeah. in the other side of campus and you never, I never interface with any of the services that would have helped me so much where here, they almost like beat you over the head with it. And like, say you, you right. better, you know, you have to, and, and, and when you do, you just, it's just, you're richly rewarded for it. I mean, and, yeah. and beyond that here at SPCC, especially there's just, there's this intangible essence of, of like coming here, soaking up, being on campus, like being a part of this kind of organization, this culture, like there's an intangible there that really does draw you back. And it's maybe it's just because it's by the beach and it's beautiful and amazing. But beyond that, it's just like the people here, everybody cares so much. The students are really kind of on it too. I mean, of course you got, you know, you got, you got people that want to party, but Hey, that, there's nothing wrong with that either. So, but overall, like, you know, this place, there is something special about it. And I'm sure that's true for every campus, but the fact that we have right. so many folks that, that came here, students and came back or worked here before in some capacity left and came back. I mean, there's obviously something that's pulling them back and, and just to be a mm-hmm. part of that, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. Very cool.
1: Yeah.
2: One thing I think, you know, I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts a little bit uh, on about it is just, and you alluded to it a little bit earlier about kind of normalizing the, the piece of being undocumented or the piece of feeling like that you're less than because you are un- undocumented, right? And so like for someone who, doesn't really understand, you know, that that trial or tribulation, you, maybe can you talk a little bit about some of the feelings and some of the concerns that students have that are undocumented? Um, so that way, when people have interactions with students that are undocumented, you know, they can feel like they're comfortable uh, having a carry on right. a conversation with them.
1: So being undocumented, I think for me, for the first time in my entire life, when i was at sbcc i felt comfortable kind of i think admitting it to myself like okay this is part of my identity this is who i am i can't change it i just have to learn to navigate through higher education and use my voice and use my experiences and trials and tribulations to help other students because i know i can't be the only one right it's it's waking up every day knowing that there can be legal changes and I will have to go back to you know my home country which is León, Guanajuato, Mexico. I was born there even though I've been here in the U.S. since I was one I'm more I feel like I'm more from here than I am from from where I was born right and that's why I a lot of students that I talk to, right? We deal with this. I like to say kini, da." yeah, right. You're not from here, but you're also not from there. And it's dealing with that constantly. You know that it's part of your culture, you know that it's part of your story, but feeling like you're not not from either space. And also, right, when it comes to higher education, right, even signing up for like financial aid, right? You see that required SSN like and then undocumented students just think oh well I can't I can't apply for it but they some don't even know that there's such thing as like a dream act application right Mm -hmm. and what that process looks like but it's that fear of like admitting right to someone I don't have a social security number what what are the opportunities that I have they just automatically assume right they see that and they're like I don't I don't want to talk about it and it's it's actually more common than not, and it was for myself, too. Like I mentioned, SBCC was the first time where I actually felt comfortable enough being open to other people and letting them know, you know, hey, this is my situation. What are, what are my steps and what are they going to look like? I feel like for a lot of students, they grow up, right, like Rafael Agustin, who was the keynote speaker that we brought during Undocumented Student Week of Action, who go through life and don't even know that they're undocumented because their parents are trying to shelter them from feeling how I felt like the other for safety reasons or, you know, what consequences might come from that. So it's a very understood fear to have. For me, it, it didn't look the same because I knew that I was undocumented, but growing up, a lot of the times, my parents were like, don't, don't tell anyone. Cause there's going to be consequences. So I, I never told anyone. I only a handful of my friends knew, but it's because they were in the same situation as me. So I felt comfortable enough. Right. In that sense. So we like, we connected, but yeah, there it's, it's a really true, true fear to have. And it's unfortunate because you don't know you wake up every day and you don't know if today might be the day where like, you have to leave everything that, you know, mm. and start all over when you feel like you're barely starting to climb this ladder of, of opportunities. Right. So it's, it's hard.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and you can't really emphasize how difficult it is just that, that practical aspect of it, not, not having access to certain pieces of financial aid, because like I said, as, as the son of refugees, like it was very difficult for me growing up and to get, you know, get just to find that path and get to a point where I was able to go to college and do all this and that. But at the same time, the, the, the refugee status that my parents had, they be, they were resident aliens, they were able to get access to all these services and things like we were on welfare growing up, we were I was able to get financial aid when I was going to college. So to have not not only all the adversity of, of growing up either low income, or you know, all these other things, but to have the undocumented status on top of that, I mean, it, it it's just it's the I mean, just, I just know you, you know, you the heart, heart of a champion, you know, like you had to you have to really grind it out, you have to really work so hard to get to get to these positions and, and just to get to where you are today and it's just it's it's awesome i'm mean, very 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 amazing story just to get where you are and just, and just the fact that you're able to go back now and help other people kind of traverse the path because it, you know you you know firsthand just like recounting a story is one thing verbally but those days those weeks those months i mean right. the ins and outs the day in day out grind of what that was like And, and yeah, just, just, I tell people that all the time. Like, yeah, I'm the son of a, I'm son of refugees. We grew up poor. My mom was a sweatshop worker. My dad worked in a restaurant, but I still had it pretty easy compared to a lot of people I know whose, whose paths, you know, in this country were, were different and, and they didn't get access to certain things, you know, based on certain circumstances. And I just wish that that wasn't a thing. I wish, I wish that we didn't look at, at those kind of statuses. And once you're here, we, we need to give everyone that kind of shake. I mean, that's a different conversation for another day, but at the same time, it's just, it, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm in awe that, that, you know, cause I, I know what I had to go through. I know how many opportunities I had that certain days, if I didn't do a certain thing, I'd be on a totally different path and it could be all different kinds of upside down for me. So just knowing that uh, so many folks are going through that day and mm-hmm. day out and how hard it is. Like, I just, I just applaud the, the grind, you know, like I, you held it down. You did the thing, and, and congratulations to where you are now. And I know it's it's not over; it's still going. But like, yeah, it's just
1: thank you. And I think something important, right, to t- to to discuss too, right, are the all the misconceptions. I feel like the term being undocumented is used very broadly. Being undocumented can look so many different ways, right? For me, I'm privileged enough to say yes, I am undocumented, but I am also a DACA recipient. Not everyone has the ability to, to be a DACA recipient. And for those that don't know, um, DACA stands for Deferred Action for Early Childhood Arrival. So that was a law that came into place that basically provided individuals who meet the requirements get a valid work permit. So like a social security number and also the ability to work within the U.S. So I'm privileged in that sense, but I know that before I had any of that, like I wasn't documented. So I, I grew up a lot of the times, you know, wondering like, how am I going to even get a job? Yes, I want to go to school, but how am I going to afford it? I know my parents aren't going to be able to afford it. And that was prior to DACA. So there's still individuals and some of my students that don't have, right, the same opportunities. And all I can tell them is like, to remain hopeful right and I think just having the space open and saying okay maybe you can't get a job now but let's let's look at some internships that you may qualify for where you can get paid through like a scholarship or a stipend right and I'm, I'm trying to start that currently now because I know a lot of the students aren't as privileged as as I am in terms of being eligible for DACA and I think something just going back to how broad the term is right they being undocumented can look so many ways some people come into the u.s with temporary i guess permission to come right and travel and then they overstay so it can look so many different ways it's it's not just like oh they they came over illegally and you know it it can look very very different
0: yeah travel visas work visas there's all kinds of all kinds of ways that folks can get get into, you know, mm-hmm. have undocumented status, and it just just reinforces, yeah, that that the services there. We have a lot of services in the state in this country, but we we kind of cut people off from accessing those services. And, and the, mm-hmm. the question the question does need to be asked more often, like why, like what is the root yeah. co- what is the root here of why you are denying these services? You know, even right. they had the, the the big thing about the the truck drivers being able to get licenses a few years ago and everything. Mm-hmm. You have to ask those questions like, like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, this is couch cushion money to half of y'all people that are so vehemently against this stuff. Like what, what is the, what is the real rationale here? Like if you're going to have this conversation, go ahead and, and talk, your talking, but again, another a larger conversation for another day, I'm sure. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Leslie, for for um, shining a light on what brought you here. We're going to segue now into our next section, um, good eating. So, so if you want to kick us off with uh, something you've eaten, whether or eaten or prepared, you know, either yourself or at a restaurant recently or, or growing up, anything you want to share with us, food wise, we'd love to hear it.
1: I am a foodie. Let me start off by saying that I love food. Food oh, is yeah. my love language. There food is, is my love language for sure. And I think right, being Latina. Uh, a lot of my culture is is food right cooking and family and cooking for for all of these events not even like to celebrate anything just say right of oh, my family is very used to just throwing carne asadas
0: and it, I'm it, like Sat- what is there to Saturday celebrate? is a celebration nothing right it's food. just
1: food <laughs> like there's nothing there's it's no one's party let's just do a carne asada so all my life. I've loved cooking. Growing up, I I used to help my mom and my grandma um, prepare dishes. I'm very thankful because now I I will not starve. I know how to cook and I I really enjoy it. So some of the things that I like to to cook, typical uh, Mexican dishes is tinga. I'm not sure if you guys have Mm -hmm. tried it, but for those who don't know, it's a very typical Mexican dish, which is shredded chicken, tomatoes and like a chipotle adobo sauce and onions and queso fresco on a tostada. So I really, really enjoy that. And then also chilaquiles. So I remember vividly growing up and eating that very often for, for breakfast. So for those that don't know, again, it's just a fried tortilla that is soaked in either red Salsa or green salsa, I would prefer red. I'm team um, red, too. I'm team red, too. Yes. Don't me, give me no green yes.
2: chilequiles. Give me the red. red. No <laughs> the disrespect red ones, to the green, right? but It's the red. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're all right. They're all right. With, you know, cheese on the top, um, served with, like, a side of beans. Or a lot of people also put, like, shredded chicken or chorizo or eggs on the side. So I really enjoy cooking those dishes. And then as far as restaurants go, I really enjoy Santo Mescal and Flor de Maiz. Mm-hmm. Are mm-hmm. we able to talk about drinks here before I go to the food? <laughs> okay, <laughs> so I really enjoy the Margarita Vallarta, which is a green apple, cucumber, and basil margarita with lime juice and salt on the rim. And I like to get green enchiladas at both spots. Mm -hmm. However, Santo Mezcal um, has this green ceviche that has pomegranates, green apple, and like a green sauce. I don't like, fun fact, I don't like fish, but I love that ceviche. I don't know what it is. It doesn't taste like fish to me. It's really good. So I highly recommend to try that. And then East Beach Tacos. You can't go wrong with that.
0: At um, the batting I cages, yes. Ah,
1: yeah. I live, I live not too far from there, so I find myself over there pretty often. I enjoy their their chicken tacos; their salsa is really good. So, that's... those are some of my favorite favorite restaurants.
0: That's a good pick right there, because that's a that's a nice little like local pick where you wouldn't yes. think like to to go check it out. But they used to have mm-hmm. that like triple player or whatever that would they give you a token to the batting they still cages do. too.
1: Yeah, but do they yeah. still give mm-hmm. you a
0: token? Cause yeah, cause they, I, I used think to get that all the time, talking. but they, they, they yeah, there's some kind of like there was like a break yeah. at some point where they were like so close to wine where you get tokens too, but yeah, the tacos are still legit. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. that place yeah. has been so many different things. You know, I remember when it was Norton's for there. for, oh, yeah. for, there for a minute. Um, I um, I remember there was another Mexican restaurant yeah. that but was. E, that but East
0: Beach has been pretty consistent. staying yeah, there it's for been there, yeah. 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 So they, they, they've they made that place their own. And like I said, when they had the, the, it was a true marriage where you could get three tacos and go yeah. to the batting cages, hit a couple, couple, yep. couple fastballs. That was nice, but still just worth heading there because it's one of the few places with like reasonable parking because most of the times you can't get a parking spot. I mean, there's times they are like random practice or whatever yes. where you can't, but, <laughs> but for the most part, there is parking there. And uh, yeah, then Florida Maiz and Santa Mascalar, you know, the Los Agaves family, I think they're both Santa Mascalar is where they're the, the same
1: owner, but different yeah. cuisine.
0: Yes, and the Florida Maíz has has a lot of on the coast. They're right on the Cabrillo, and they have a lot of yeah. they the, the cuisines are, the the menus are different enough that it's worth trying all of them. You know, like Santa Mescal, Los Agaves, and Florida Maís. There's some overlap with the dishes, but everything's different enough, and just yes. they do a great job just setting like a nice dining room atmosphere. So it's 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 a a really nice place to like celebrate an occasion you know it's good for a casual meal too but it feels it's like a, it's like a special occasion restaurant too so it's, those are all like good good picks for sure yes yeah. um, all right okay i'll go lunar new year is coming up as of this recording day it's a it's, uh, new year's eve is tomorrow and then the new year is actually on sunday so my my pick for this week um just just some of the The Cantonese kind of barbecue restaurants I grew up with down in L.A., like Sam Wu Barbecue, Shamsang and stuff, but the roast duck, the cha siu, which is the barbecue pork, and then um, they have a roast pork. I know you're not going to hear this, but there's roast pork with a crispy crackling skin. It's like a a three-item combo at most places with rice, and it's just like a little homestyle meal. It's not necessarily what we eat for the new year, but just when I think about growing up, that was like one of my favorite meals because it was just simple. It's just like you know, three types of meat with rice. I mean, it, it, it suits me well because there's no veggies and I'm, you know, t- unhealthy <laughs> diet wise. But it's it just, I was, because I, I was trying to think about, like, you know, for the for the new year, what what foods should I highlight? Like, people talk about eating noodles for a long life and dumplings for wealth because they look like money. But that's not the stuff that we grew up with. Like, it, like I, when I think about it, it's really all the homey, the comfort foods. So, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's really my go to right there and stuff. So yeah. And uh, I did want to also mention that, the neighborhoods that my parents grew up in, like, you know, San Gabriel Valley's most of the folks that emigrated over came around the same time as my parents, you know, around the late eighties, you know, the early eighties, you know, when I was born, it was a big migration. And and now that those generations are actually starting to shift a little bit, you know, it's been 40 some odd years since that happened. So a lot of the things that came over with my parents, like they had a lot of things built in from their, from the motherland where they came from in, in this case, Vietnam, but just for folks that came over a lot of those, those, things from the the motherland came with them and now as the generations are shifting as the as the kids that they had are getting older the some of the traditions are changing like my my mom used to all like my mom is uneducated can't read or write in any language so she relied a lot on relatives she relied on a lot on neighbors and stuff to help her out and she relied on a network of uh, fortune tellers and a lot of those fortune tellers are aging out and they're they're going you know they're they're either dying or something else is happening and their kids aren't picking it up and so it's kind of one of those lost arts and it's it's one of those things that was really kind of a, an important part of my life growing up where if we made any important decision we had to ask the fortune teller too we had to bring like an offering ask about it. like when I bought my house I had to ask the fortune teller before I took a, this job I had asked the fortune teller like my mom would go and ask but it's just one of those those you know the customs and stuff that were a little more ubiquitous even in the LA area. I mean up here it's a little less common because there's not as many Asian folks around here, but even in LA that where there's a lot of Asian folks, it is that kind of generational shift. And it just when I was thinking about the foods I was eating growing up and, and that's kind of what this section is really about in terms of food and you know, like how how it shapes us and is part of the culture. Like when I was thinking about the food I was eating growing up, I was also thinking about a lot of things that we did as a family or my parents would do or I would help my mom do and this and that and, and and a lot of those things are kind of shifting and, and as, as we become, you know, more ingrained in American culture, as I assimilate more and and, and this and that, I just think about how there's a lot of things that are kind of leaving and and aren't going to be replaced and, you know, whether they should be or not, is a different conversation too, but, you know, maybe not, maybe there is no need for, for those fortune tellers in this world where, you know, where you don't need to ask the spirits for that kind of stuff. You just do it, you know, like YOLO, right? So (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know. I really go anywhere with that, but just wanted to yeah. So I'll put I'll put up a link to show notes for both recipes to create kind of the Cantonese barbecue stuff because you know it's called Cantonese barbecue, but there's not really grill involved. Most of it's oven, most of it's you know, just stuff you could do in an,
2: in a regular, you
0: know, at home. So I'll put some recipes up in the show notes and uh yeah, happy new year to those that celebrate.
2: Yeah, happy new year. <laughs> I'm gonna go, I'm uh I'm gonna keep it on the agent theme. I'm going local. I'm actually carpenteria, that's where I, I live and I'm going to go. Uh, they just opened up a new Lao Thai restaurant. Oh, yeah. And so the first time I went there, I I wasn't really that impressed, but I, I gave it another shot. And since been back multiple times after, I gave it the, another shot. So I think <laughs> they kind of they kind of straighten it out. You know, sometimes when you go when the restaurant is like brand new. You know, I mean, there's a lot of wrink, uh, wrinkles that need to be kind of ironed out and they've done an amazing job at, at that. But some of, you know, my favorites are they have a garlic pepper, a garlic pepper sauce. And you can, you know, choose your, your different type of meat, uh, be, it, be it beef, shrimp or tofu. But I usually like get the garlic pepper sauce and with beef, that's crazy good. The eggplant that's sauteed in chili and garlic is also really, really good. Roxanne usually gets tofu in that. The larb salad's good. Everything is really, really good. And it feels uh, super authentic, kind of like home cooked. It's really cool. One of my favorite things is like, you know, what I enjoy when I go there is you just see everyone in the kitchen. Like it's a full on like whole entire family business and everyone's there. You know, Uh, the first time I went, was like on the weekend. I think the great, the grandkids or the great grandkids were there. They were little, they were running up and down. Ah, uh, the restaurant. They're outside. They're inside. It just felt like you were really at, in someone's home, you know. And so, that's always a good sign for me. You know, when I like to eat, you know, some people like the fancier things, and I I do too. Sometimes I guess I can be bougie as well. But I I feel like when it comes to eating and and we talk about connecting and and food and bringing people together, th- this spot definitely has that feel. So that's my pick for the week: Lao Thai restaurant that's in Carpinteria we will put it in the show notes, but it's over on the side where Uncle Chen's restaurant's at and Rudy's on that kind of side of this, of this strip mall. Um, but yeah, do yourself a favor. Uh, the Thai tea's real good. I was just thinking earlier when when I was listening to you guys talk about the different food choices, it's, just, it's so interesting to me to think about like five years ago, no one was even eating, eating boba or drinking boba. Now it's just like everywhere in our culture, you know what I mean? And and again, that's one of those things that, you know, I'm grateful for to be able to live in a, in a country that has those little nuances of, of experience, other things that are beloved to pe- uh, people in their culture. You know, like we talk about the chilequiles, and I remember the first time I uh, it was like a life-changing event when I ate those. And, you know, just being able to experience that, and I will actually go a step further and say... A lot of it's where we live. I mean, I spent some time, in the, you know, in the Midwest when I was in mm-hmm. elementary school. I wasn't getting any chilequiles. I wouldn't be getting any Thai food. Like being able to to, <laughs> to, to to be in California, we just take these things kind of for granted. But uh, yeah, that's my pick. And I'll just I'll stop there. Get you some th- some loud Thai food. Don't forget the larp salad either.
0: It's a great pick because yeah, Carpenteria, They have the one Thai restaurant that Bangkok Siam, I think it is. Yeah, uh-huh. on Linden. Then they have Uncle Chen. This place used to be the Vietnamese place forevermore, or whatever it was. Or uh, yeah, they, they rotated this, and and it's just nice having the Lao element to it. There's not, a, it's not a, there's not a heavily like a lot of Lao dishes on there, but they do do like a Lao style pho that I have that was pretty good, and like just having that piece in there to get that recognition of like. Thailand is not is is there but there's a lot of neighboring countries you know Laos, Cambodia and all those cuisines like if you ever in another area and you end up going to Long mm-hmm. Beach and having Cambodian cuisine or going somewhere having Lao cuisine there's a lot of crossover you know like yeah. you know Vietnam where where is similar ingredients and just it's it's similar ingredients but just little twists on it you know Mexico Mexico has that a lot with the regional the regional cuisines that are inherent in different areas of the country to where it's it's nice to kind of get that lesson that geography lesson through food and that yeah. cultural appreciation through food so it's yeah i'm glad that they put that little shout out for because there there are there's a decent lao population in california and, and and throughout the country so just to have that little shout out for folks that you know like when you're just googling maybe driving by googling and like oh my god this restaurant is thai food and laugh we should definitely stop by you know like it's one of those things where it's i i definitely appreciated it so definitely great pick i'll put it in the show notes thank you akil yeah segue now to higher learning our culture section. So Leslie if you want to kick us off uh, movie music book TV anything video game uh, anything that kind of moved you throughout your life or recently that you want to share with us we'd be happy to hear it.
1: I think for me music has always been a huge part of my culture and anything that I do right a lot of the the parties and gatherings that I went to or like just events right learning about about where I was born was listening and watching mariachi music, right? A lot of the beautiful dresses and just listening to yes, Spanish music, but you know, you can go anywhere from banda to bad bunny. I know we we're talking about this a little bit yesterday, Hong. <laughs> huh? So I think I think for me it'd be music. Cause it it doesn't matter what mood I'm in, I can definitely find a song that that can match the mood so i would definitely say music would be my pick so what's
2: in your rotation right now so if we if i got into your car and i hit you know most recently listened to or or last played what what would that be
1: you would definitely find some bad bunny in there
2: um, you album would... of the year that's the album of the year right there yeah, miss, me, miss me with the bad bunny the man. features we'll talk too about that.
0: he had the marias <laughs> on there that, that track with the marias mm, mm, mm. so good I, there's not a skip on that album there's no skips on that album but okay go on
1: there's there's definitely some of that I've been listening to Fuerza Regida which is a, a regional group lately what else Carol G also okay. one yeah, a lot of like reggaeton, got, but also regional music. So
2: we got any? Mixed do we down. got any Luis Miguel, <laughs> Grupo Del Limite? We got any of that going on up in there or no?
1: Mm, not right now.
2: Oh, okay, not, not right, right, now. right
1: now. Yeah.
0: No. What about the rock in español? No Café de Cuba or you know the.
1: Oh, I've listened to so much of that growing up when my mom would like clean <laughs> on full glass. so I had a lot of that during my childhood. So I, I think right now. I try to keep that off my playlist because I hear it all the time when I go visit her to her house.
2: Yo, that's such a thing though, right? I just was thinking about how we should do something centering around childhood cleanup, Saturday cleanup jams. Because everyone has that in their culture. I Mm -hmm. remember certain songs. Luther Vandross Mm -hmm. was always on on a Saturday. Juicy Fruit was always being played on on the Saturday. So that's a real thing.
0: My sisters will put K-Earth on. Earth and let's, let's let us just all these right out. Yeah, my parents were just listening to, like that, like uh, the Cantonese, like opera music. So yeah, yeah, I don't know if that helps with the cleaning. So <laughs> <laughs> my sisters had K-, K Earth and New Wave because you know when you live in East LA, like I said, you got the Holy Trinity, the the, the Smiths, the K- Cure, the Mode. So yeah, New Wave and K Earth was-
1: mm-hmm. for for my mom. Um, she played a lot of I don't know if you guys know who he is, but his name's Pepe Aguilar. Oh, so yeah. she's like, "Oh, you know, one day I'm gonna meet him. One day I'm gonna meet him." Oh, my mom, just give it up. <laughs> the music ain't, ain't that good, but if you like it, that's fine.
0: I mean, and, right. and being around here, there's a good chance she will meet him. and Go to a show, you know. Like he's,
2: you know. So yeah. hey, I'm yeah. sticking up for mom on this, man. Maybe she will. I'm hoping <laughs> mom's not here to defend herself. I'm taking mom's side. She's gonna meet him. She's gonna meet him.
1: One day. One day.
2: Yeah, and oh, her yeah. music, her taste in music is good. <laughs> All right. All right. How many you got for us? I'm segueing off of uh, Leslie's
0: pick. I'm going with Spanish music. I'm probably too old to be listening to this because I think the lead singer, she might be like 18 now, or the oldest member of the band's like 20 something. But they, yes. they, just, they they have this crossover sound. I mean, I was going to, I had a conversation with Elizabeth Leslie yesterday, but you know, there wasn't really like a song of the summer conversation. And I didn't really have like mm-hmm. a song of the summer this summer. But in the fall, I was, I mean, that that song they, that. they did a song with ivan cornejo it's called inseparables my pronunciation is terrible because the thing about that band is they they came up i think they blew up off of doing like a youtube cover of an mm-hmm. ivan cornejo song he's from he's from riverside so he's like a socal guy too so they it, Super it's young of, as well. yeah exactly so like yeah i'm I'm too old of the head to be trying to be into this stuff people are looking like why are you trying to be cool uh, but i'm not <laughs> i'm not i just like good music you know so but I, I, I will say that's song Inseparables. I mean, it, it kind of is a full circle moment for them because they came up covering Ivan Cornejo, and they kind of blew up. You mm-hmm. know, and then they have their song Soy El Unico, and Dejalo hello yeah. is my jam. Eater is my jam off that EP they did. But um, Inseparables mm-hmm. is really like the synthesis of their sound, where it brings a full circle. And I like the kind of it's like a a back and forth with with male and female vocals. Mm-hmm. It's got that corrido sound with the guitars and everything, but the vocals are really like hit me with really good. It, in my emo heart you know like i have i have an emo <laughs> heart cuz i grew up a punk rock kid and stuff and they 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 have this fusion of because you know corridos and those kind of songs like the, the banda the songs i mean right. people talk people talk about emo music because it's emotional mm-hmm. but all music is emotional how, i mean how many love it the is. percentage of music that is love songs in this world it's it's like over 50 and probably closer to 70 80% so mm-hmm. you can't call all that music emo music we can just say it's a love song and these these love songs are timeless and you know it's young people singing but i'm i'm down with it and it's just it's just really really good i mean the, the, i'll put a link to their ep in the show notes they played in la like uh last april or eight, and i miss, missed it so i'm hoping they come out on tour again Aww. but It'll be a way bigger venue. And I, like I said, I stick out like a sore thumb when I go to these shows. I saw Carla Morrison at the Greek last, last summer. And everyone's looking at me like, who is this faker out here? But <laughs> what can you do, man? The heart wants what the heart wants. So I I, yes. <laughs> I was going to go, you know, so, but um, yeah, so I'll, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then my other song, big song I was listening to a lot uh, this, this past fall was um, there was an anime on Netflix based on uh, Cyberpunk, which is a video game. And they Ooh. took music from the video game for the anime. And it's a song called I Really Want to Stay at Your House by this uh, girl, Rosa Walton. She's part of a group called Let's Eat Grandma. It's a play on Grandma. I mean, it's a play on grammar. It's not actually like a cannibalism thing. So it's just because, you know, like with the comma there. But yeah. So it's a song called I Really Want to Stay at Your House. The anime, if people are in anime, is pretty good. If you're not mm-hmm. in anime, it's probably not going to win you over because there are like, th- there are a lot of the classic anime tropes there. Like it's really hyper violent. There's random gratuitous nudity. <laughs> there's like, there's a character called a lowly character, which is. Looks like a child, but it is like a sexualized adult. So there's a lot of stuff. If you're not, if you're not into anime or aware of the culture, it could be off-putting, but it's one of those things where like if you have been watching anime for a while, you just kind of like roll with the punches and kind of like soak in the animation and stuff. It's a really good anime, but the song is just like it's another one of those like my love songs that really kind of tugs in my heartstrings So those those two were in heavy rotation. Um, and I will put a link to both. I really want to see your house by Rosa Walton and Yarita Suicencia the Entire catalog is worth listening but that especially that song with Ivan Courtney Hill. Nice, it's yeah. separate. Nice, mm-hmm. Art right, Akil. What you got?
2: Well, I'm gonna go. What I've been really into, I just completed uh watching um, um on Hulu. It's a series uh called Kindred, it's based off of uh, uh Octavia Butler's uh book. Mm-hmm. Kindred. Oh, yeah. So they did an adaptation, they did season one, uh, just finished. It's I think it's around seven episodes. Um, it's crazy done well, done well, like I would tell people like you have to watch it. It's brilliant. You know, it's based off of, you know, like the book Kindred and, uh, and she Octavia Butler is just an, an amazing story within herself. Um, just, you know, she's actually grew up in Pasadena, uh, went to community college, um, was born in like the late forties. Um, and just as a black woman. Uh, venturing into sci fi um, wasn't a thing. Like, really, just uh, a trendsetter, uh, head of the curve, uh, has written multiple books, um, and just just a, a true visionary. And, you know, she since uh, has passed. Uh, I think she passed back in like 06. But uh, I was really uh, pleased with uh, how they did the season one of Kindred. Um, it's basically about this uh woman who time travels uh between you know this our time like 2023 or uh, back into slavery and so so one minute she's here and then and um the next minute she's back and just really uh as someone who's black really just thinking about that concept of mm-hmm. of of that well she's up, showing up uh, to these plantations as herself in 23. But the time that she's in, everyone sees her as a slave. And she's trying to basically put this mystery together and searching for her mother and, and her mom also. I don't want to give it too much away, but it's so that's kind of like, you know, I'm just going to stop there. I'll just stop there. I don't want to give it away. But that is something I if you have Hulu, um, if, you're, uh, if you're looking for something to watch, Definitely check that out. Or more importantly, we all know the books are better than the, the shows or the movies. So um, Kindred, Octavia Butler, absolutely brilliant piece of art that she has poured out uh, for us just so f- ahead of the time. So check that out. You, you won't be disappointed
0: shout out to Octavia Butler not only alumnus of, of PCC Pasadena City mm-hmm. College also Cal State LA so she's yeah LA yep. LA SoCal through and through and mm-hmm. a, a titan a titan of science fiction in yeah. terms of not just science fiction but representation in science fiction because yeah up until Octavia Butler and you know Ursa, there's a few others but like but Octavia Butler she a lot of, of, of Afrofuturism a lot of a lot mm-hmm. of, of things like that rest on her shoulders in terms of yep. You laid the groundwork for all these things kindred is just it reminds me a lot of slaughterhouse five in terms of the you know the characters unstuck in time but just the way she plays with time travel conventions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's a very grounded story it's not this fantastical science fiction you know narrative of like you know all this stuff but the, the, the she has a little flourishes here and there it just it's just a, a wonderful book It's it, it's a great book i haven't seen the show yet but i will definitely check it out but yeah that's that's yeah
2: you know, one one other thing that's so interesting, too, is when, you know, we talk about people who are visionary and, and who are kind of like out, you know, ahead of the curve. And then you start looking a little bit into their lives. And one thing, uh, you know, I was looking into uh, Octavia Butler and, and it's really interesting. It's always the circumstances around them that causes them to go to a place that is so far out on the margin. Right. So just thinking a little bit, you know, about what she was experiencing going up in a segregated place and just wasn't didn't really see herself as important so then she started reading and developing a love for that and writing and and then at that time people were like you know black people don't do that you know what i mean and then to incorporate like just that sci-fi lens it's just absolutely just like i can't even fathom like what was going on you know inside of her soul it's really interesting how we're in 23 and we're reading her works and it's just like man this was written when in the 70s i think she wrote kindred like around 75 76 Mm -hmm. and then here we are in 23 like reading it and it's just so still relative you know yes
0: and and the fact that they've decided to make a tv shot of it shows you how much you can mine from how rich her work was, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of she, she contrasts the the time travel going back to the past, you know, with, with the current, her current life in the seventies, I don't know if they've updated it to be a modern take in the show. Yeah. It's,
2: it's a modern take.
0: Okay. Cause yeah. Cause at the time she was contrasting the, the, the life of the, you know, 1800s or whatever to the modern 1970s life. And just like mm-hmm. the, the things that were the same and things that were different and just her life, you know, her personal life, was one where she felt a little bit like an outcast growing up, of course, Mm -hmm. you know, why would you blame her? And she found her, she found her tribe, so to speak. She found solace at the library. Mm -hmm. So she would go to the library. She would read, 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 and she would practice writing. Mm -hmm. And then from there she started doing workshops and stuff. And then she just, you know, but she she made her own path Mm -hmm. and it's kind it's, it's a great, it's a really great pick because we, we talk about making your own path and finding your way and overcoming adversity and, and Yeah. She's a, I mean, I think of Janelle Monae now with all of her stuff that she's been doing, how great, how prolific she's been. Mm-hmm. And, and Janelle Monae absolutely stands on the shoulders of, of Octavia Butler in terms of bringing that kind of futuristic slant to to like the, the kind of stories that she wants to tell. And so, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. Great pick, Akil. Thank you very much.
2: Um, all great picks. All great picks.
0: Leslie, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show today.
2: Thank um, you was, so much.
0: It was an honor to have you. Before we Before we say goodbye, anything else? Any parting words, Any, anything you want to share with the, the listeners before we let you go?
2: Anything coming down the pipe for during the spring semester?
1: Yeah, so I put a couple events together for the first couple weeks. So next week, since we do have the students coming back, I will be doing a collaboration with Emoja as well um, to do a welcome fest for students. So we'll be providing food if they have any last minute questions, like where to find their class, all that good stuff. They can stop by. It's completely on a drop-in basis. So we're just going to be providing support for the first week. We have a study abroad workshop that's also coming up. Yeah, a a lot more events during the semester if students are interested in attending any of them. They'll definitely be seen flyers on our social media, on the Dream Center, Instagram, and um, as well as as the newsletter that I that I send out pretty regularly to students.
0: I will get links to the Dream Center Instagram on our show notes. Thank you again, Leslie, for taking the time. Thank you you.
2: so much, Leslie. And our listeners out there, please swing by, see Leslie in the Dream Center. You can tell her that Hong and I sent you. And, but, and
0: grab a packet of that instant pho soup while you're there. So.
1: Yes.
2: <laughs> I'm not. Co- Listen, I'm, I'm not coinciding that because I haven't tried it, but, you know, definitely show up to the spaces and uh, just, you know, it's just a, such a special place to be, you know. Yes.
1: I'm looking forward to connecting with folks that I haven't had the opportunity to connect with and as well as students and just to see what the Dream Center grows into. And yeah continue providing support for students and their families.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much. We're we're grateful you're here. Thankful to y'all for listening. Until next time, this was Viquetto Voices. Take care, y'all.
2: See y'all.
1: Bye, guys.